0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey, we're doing a new series, starting a new series today called Encounters. Say Encounters. 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 And that is really why we exist as a church. We exist as a church to provide an atmosphere for people to encounter the reality of Jesus. And that's our hope. That's our prayer. That's what we pray. That's why we started this church is so that we would create a place, that we would we would provide a culture for people to come and easily encounter Jesus. Because we believe that everything, listen, everything in your life can be totally transformed with one moment with Jesus. Everything, our history with God is defined by moments where we encounter him. We believe that every issue, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, socially, monetarily, can be resolved with one superannounced encounter with this man named Jesus. Listen, when you encounter Jesus on the road of your life, it absolutely changes everything. Everything. We don't add Jesus on. Jesus transforms us. It's the way it works. It didn't matter if you were if you were the, the best guy, the, the most handsome guy, the most well liked guy, or you were the greatest villain the world has ever known. When you encounter Jesus, everything absolutely changes. Check this out. Second Corinthians chapter 5. You got your Bible? You got your app? You guys ready? Second Corinthians chapter 5. At one time we thought we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view how differently we know him now. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Everybody say change. Change. Everybody say different. You're a new person because you came to Jesus. The old is gone. The old life is gone. And the new life has come. It's begun. When Jesus came, he didn't come to give you an enhancement. Are you with me? Listen, Jesus didn't come to make your life better. He came to make your life different. He came to transform you. He didn't come just to, now it's the good life. It's the life more abundantly. But listen, he didn't come just so you could add him on and just so you can enjoy all the frills and thrills of living with Jesus. He came to transform your life. This is the gospel. This is what we hold on to. This is our hope. So everything changes when we come to know him. I want to talk this morning about one of the most significant ca- encounters in human history. The most significant encounters with human, in human history. In fact, it's an encounter that still transforms lives today. And it starts off with this guy named Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul. Now, Saul was from this town called Tarsus. So we call him Saul of Tarsus. That's what they did back in the Bible days. They didn't give last names, they just identified you from where you were from or your condition, right? So if you were crippled, they would say Josh, Josh who was crippled. Or if you were from, like I'm from Odessa, so it would have been Josh from Odessa, right? That, that's I'm glad that I'm not defined by that, but hey, come on, are you with me? So uh, so this guy's name was Saul of Tarsus. Now Saul was a good Jewish young man. Uh, Jews at a, at a very young age study the Torah. They study the law. They, they're very well schooled in the first five books of what we call the, the books of Moses. Uh, and, but not only that, but also the city of Tarsus was like a college town. And there were many philosophers. There were many historians from this town. It was kind of an epicenter of knowledge. So all these these people and all these quotes, and we can see this through, through Paul's writings later, where he would quote many of these people. The reason why he knew all that is because the environment that he was he grew up in this this co- college town, but the city was really famous because it manufactured goats hair felt. So the goat they would make felt out of goats hair, where they would make tents, clothes, blankets, uh, belts, saddles, all this kind of stuff that they made out of goats hair, and this was kind of their fame in Tarsus. And so another thing that a Jewish boy did is a Jewish boy always learned a skill. So he, you know, maybe his dad taught him, or the, the the clan that he ran with, they would learn a skill growing up. So at a young age, Saul learned the skill of tent making, and this actually ended up working well for him later on in his life to provide an income for him. And uh, so he wasn't just an extremely educated Jew, and he wasn't just a good skilled worker. He would also became, and he studied just like any rabbi of the day would st- would study and he became a Pharisee. So this guy named Saul become a, basically a Pharisee, was a religious expert. Are you with me? He knew it. Like he, he, would, he would beat any of us down with scripture knowledge, any of us. And so he, he was an expert of the law, trained as a rabbi. And he, listen, he was very zealous. He was very passionate about the law. And he was, listen, he was extremely devoted to his religion. This, this young man, Saul of Tarsus. Um, now the church at this moment that we're about to get into, the church was experiencing revival since Acts chapter two, right? We know the church was doing the same stuff. Jesus said, hey, you're gonna do the same stuff that I've been doing. I'm gonna go to the Father. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and you're gonna do what I've been doing. You're gonna be laying hands on sick people. They're gonna get healed. Peter's shadow was falling on people. They were getting healed. People were speaking in tongues. was crazy. All these miracles, people were getting transported supernaturally. I mean, there was revival on the earth, However, that revival was causing a threat to the current religious system, which Saul was in. So all these Pharisees were going around and persecuting the church, the people that were experiencing revival. So they were going house to house and arresting them. Not only were they arresting them, they were killing people. They were killing Christians who would not submit to their religion. I mean, that sounds a little bit familiar with what's going on in part of our world today. And so they were very much similar to what ISIS would be right now. A lot of persecution to the church, a lot of persecution towards people who were Christian, throwing them in jail, all this kind of stuff. It was really considered under their sect of religion to be, it was illegal to follow Jesus because Jesus came and claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus claimed to come and be God. So anybody that followed Jesus, listen, anybody that followed Jesus was, was following that heresy and this was threatening their church. Are you guys with me? Now, it wasn't really the church, right? The capital C church. They, were, But it was their church, their religion, their, their lane that they were running in. So Saul, this young man, was so such an expert. He was so skilled in his profession that he was promoted to one of the highest levels of Pharisees. So he was the guy that was going whenever they were arresting people, he was writing it down. He was doing all this, all this like following and leads. And and he was so zealous. He was going around and he was asking for more orders. He wanted to be the guy to, to, to rid the world of Christians. I mean, he was, a, he was a very, what we would consider a very evil man. But get this, even in, in what we would, look, from our standpoint, we would look at him and say he was evil. He thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was doing the work of God. I mean, he was religious. And uh, the Christians at that time were considered people, they, they called them, their church, if they, their church had a name, it was called people of the way. They called them the way because Jesus claimed to be The way right? The way, the truth, the life. So they were saying, these people are the people, of the way we've got to rid the world, the world of them. So when, when Saul is about 30 years old in Acts chapter nine, this is our story today. It's, you can also read this in Acts 22 and Acts 26, where he uh, recalls his story. Verse one, right here in Acts chapter nine, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters from the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus, so he goes, get this, he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem and he says, give me papers. I want to arrest more Christians, right? So they give him the papers and he's on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus, And he's walking down the road. And while he's on his journey, suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. suddenly. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Amen. And in verse 6. Jesus tells him this, now get up and go to the city and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Later it says that they actually saw the light, but they, and they heard sound, but they couldn't hear the voice. You gotta, you gotta have that encounter. You gotta be in the moment to hear the voice. So Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. And the story goes on and he was healed. And God does this incredible work in Saul's life who eventually becomes Paul who pens two-thirds of the New Testament that have a significant impact on our life today. And it all starts with a man who's going down the road, doing what he thinks is best, and he encounters this man named Jesus. I want to dig a little bit this morning and talk about some realities Of encounters, what happens when we encounter this man Jesus? I want to dig into the dialogue a little bit. This is—I believe—Paul's experience, this encounter that he that he had was a prototype for the encounter that we might have. That there's a lot of things that we can see that if we dig into the dialogue, what happens when we encounter Jesus? Is it just, will I just get chill bumps. Will I fall on the ground? Will I get excited for about three weeks? What happens to me when I encounter Jesus? What are the realities concerning, revolving around encounters? Number one, the first reality is this, is Jesus wants to encounter us. Listen, if there has ever been a man alive that should be exempt from being into heaven, it's Saul of Tarsus. I mean, a guy's like order, asking for papers to kill Christians. Don't think that your sin is that big. Are you with me? Because I've, I've talked to people, oh, I had sex before I was married, I'm going to hell. Where, where do you get that? Jesus can redeem you. And I love that Jesus wants to encounter us. Can I tell you any encounter that you had with the Lord? It was his idea first it 's always his idea first it 's always his idea. Jesus said that that, that, uh, that you didn 't choose me, I chose you it 's always initiated by him. If you have the desire to encounter the Lord, where do you think you got that desire you didn 't get it from the devil your flesh didn't get it but it was the Lord saying don't you want to be closer and you go yeah I want to and he's like one well, call out to me That's good. and Jesus starts off and he says Saul Saul listen I love that so much because he knows who we are he knows where we're going and he knows how to get our attention he wants to encounter us and if we're willing to ask the questions he'll gladly give us the answers um can I tell you today, we may want an encounter with the Lord. I don't know about you, but man, I'm always like, God, I want to experience you. I want to have this. Can I tell you that his, his desire for that is infinitely more than ours? And wherever you're at in your life, I don't care how spiritual you are or how unspiritual you are. I don't care how righteous you are or you think you are or how paganistic you are or how far from God you are. Jesus wants to bring a divine interruption into your life. He wants to interrupt you. Listen, you might have thought, oh, I'm just gonna to go to church today. Just kind of sit in, you know, it's Sunday. We go to church, we'll sing a few songs. Pastor Josh, get up and yell up for a little bit, and then we'll go, we'll go, we'll go eat lunch and we'll go home. And it'll be all check mark. I went to church. Listen, can I tell you today that there is more to life than doing your little grind and going to work on Monday and trying to get up enough? Listen, Jesus wants to interrupt your plans. He wants to He wants to invade where you're going. It doesn't matter where you're at, where your level is. Jesus wants to interrupt you because he wants to transform your life. And it doesn't matter how spiritual you are because wherever you're at, there's a deeper place to go, there's a greater revelation of who he is. I love that what Pastor Nathan was talking about with, with all these creatures that have all those eyes. They've got to have all those eyes to just get a glimpse because he is multifaceted. We cannot exhaust any subject. He's inexhaustible. But he is ready for a divine interruption. I believe today that he's calling some names in this room. And he wants to bring a divine interruption in your life. That you've been, you, you have an addiction that you need to overcome. Divine interruption is what you need. Your marriage needs healing. Divine interruption is what you need. You've been in sorrow. You're depressed. A divine... Inter- you don't need more Prozac. You need more Jesus encounter. Let's just be real. you got sickness in your body. You don't, you, don't need an, you don't need the money for the doctor. You might need that money because you already paid it. But what you need is healing. You need an encounter with the healer. That's what you need. That's what we need. It's time for a divine interruption. Jesus wants to encounter. And he knows how to get your attention. Saul. Saul. No matter how far from god you are how close you may think you are he knows your name and he knows how to get your attention number two encounters demand a response encounters demand a response everybody say a response response. thank you for responding (laughs) i love how the first thing that comes off of, of saul's lips that day is he says who are you lord who are you, Lord? See, when we encounter the Lord, it demands a response. Like, it's just automatic. Who are you? And I love that even though I've been serving Jesus for more than 20 years, it's like whenever I experience the presence of the Lord, I'm like, who are you? Because when the Lord shows up, it's always an invitation. Listen, encounters always provoke intimacy. It always provokes me to go, yes, I, who are you? Show me who you are. What do you know that I don't know? What do you have that I don't have? There will always be, listen, when you encounter the Lord, there will always be an immediate desire to know him, always. If not, then maybe it's just chill bumps that you're experiencing. And let me just say this also. If you want that encounter to be sustained, you got to keep asking that question, who are you? Because many of you have encountered the Lord, and that wore off a long time ago. And the reason why it wore off is because you quit asking that question: "Who are you?" That word "know" that we that we quoted earlier in Second Corinthians five sixteen, how differently we know Him now. That word "know" is "ginosko," and that word means knowledge through personal experience. So it's not like you picked up your Bible one day and you went, "I know that." Because the Bible told me so. That's great. You need to do that. I know because I watched a YouTube video. I know because I read it on the internet. Careful. Read it on the interwebs. Right? I know it because I studied this in school. Anytime the the scriptures use that word to know, it doesn't mean knowledge like you think you know it means. It means this. Knowledge through personal experience. It's not, listen, it's not enough to know the Word of God. You must experience the Word of God. Remember, Jesus said, He's like, You study the Scriptures because you think that you're going to get life. That's what Paul, that's what Saul was doing. He thought that there was life in the Scriptures. And Jesus said, My words are spirit and life. My words are meant to be experienced, my words are meant to encounter you. This word is is the most intimate of words when we see the word know here. It's the most intimate of words. It's, It's to know whenever... It says that Mary didn't know a man. She didn't have an experience, an encounter with a man. She had an encounter with God that caused her to be pregnant. A personal experience knowledge through personal experience. You might know Leslie Brown. We'll keep it G rated today. You might know Leslie Brown, but I know Leslie Brown. And I'm not just talking about a physical act. I'm talking about, I know the depths of her heart that you don't know. And she knows things about me too, that praise the Lord. Um, All right. But listen, it's, there's a second part of that response. It's not just who are you. It's who are you, Lord? And see, many people want to know the Lord as their Savior, but they don't want to know the Lord as their Lord. And can I tell you today that we, when we accept Jesus, we accept him for who he is. And he is Lord of all. And you will bow your knee to his Lordship. You will bow your knee now or you will bow your knee when you're standing before him at the end of the age. So don't, you know, we, 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 oh, Jesus is my Savior. What has he saved you from? Listen, Jesus saves you into lordship. He saves you to belong to him. It's not, it's not just he rescues you. It's like he reserves you for himself. It's like I'm saving that ice cream in the freezer. For a special occasion. That redeemed ice cream. Come on. No? No? I'm saving it for me. All right. Listen, Jesus is king. And listen, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And he is Lord of all. So bow your knee. That is the second part of the response. Not just who are you? Oh, I want chill bumps. Who are you, Lord? I'm yielding. To your rulership. I I remember it used to frustrate me sometimes when I would see like billboards or something that said, Jesus is Lord. I was like, how's it gonna impact anybody's life? I was getting all kind of religious about it. Being unreligious, being religious about it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you're, I'm not religious. They shouldn't put a religious thing and I was being religious about that. So funny how we can be backwards. And so I remember telling that woman, I was like, what good does that do? Jesus is Lord on the She's like, she said, well, it's just making an absolutely true statement. Jesus is Lord. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, he sure is. He sure is, Lord. But let me, my point is this. Listen, encounters that don't lead to a greater level of God's leadership are simply educational experiences. And you don't need another educational experience. You don't need to just read, the, read it on the page or read it on a billboard that Jesus is Lord. You need to experience his leadership in your life. Don't, don't go around like waving the banner, oh, he's my savior, he's my savior, he's my savior, whenever you're, you're lording your own life. And I, I would venture to say this, if you're going to be your own lord, you're going to have to be your own savior too. You want me to say that again? If you want to be your own lord, you might have to be your own savior. I wasn't going to say that, but I, I just did. What about grace? Grace to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And can I tell you today, he's a good ruler. He's a good king. He's a good, he, it's, it's, not, it's not ugly. Come on. We, we were like, oh, I don't want you. Yes, you do. It's the great exchange. Everything he has, everything that he has after the encounter is better than before the encounter. It doesn't necessarily mean your experience in this world will be that way. But the sustainable internal joy and peace that you experience because you belong to the King of Kings will supersede anything that you're experiencing in this world. He will be with you. Number three, encounters facilitate revelation. So when he's willing to ask this question, who are you, Lord? He goes, I am Jesus. See, the thing I love about encountering the Lord is when we encounter the Lord, he always shows us something that we haven't known before. And Saul knew who Jesus was. He was killing people because people were following Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus like this. Encounters are always an invitation for Jesus to be revealed. Always. That's what it is. I I love that when he shows up, when Jesus shows up, he came in a blinding light. A blinding light. Paul says later he says that it was like brighter than the sun. This is what caused her to be blind. Why? Because when Jesus shows up, he blows us away with revelation. He comes up and he goes, "This is who I am," and we're like, "Whoa!" It's like if you ever walked out of a movie, have you ever gone to a day movie. Like a movie during the day and you walk out and the sun's bright outside and you walk out and you're like, whoa, it takes you a little while for your eyes to adjust. I think this is what was happening to Paul. He was in such spiritual darkness that Jesus came and he goes, boom, this is who I am. And then he sees Jesus and his perspective is totally changed. And not just his physical vision, but his spiritual vision as well. His perspective was totally shifted. Listen, Jesus wants you to encounter him because he wants to show you who he is in a new living way, a greater way, a way that you've never seen him before. Listen, don't settle for yesterday's manna. Come on, quit living off that experience from 30 years ago. Encounter the Lord today. There is more to know about him. I love how Paul later tells the church of Ephesians. He's like, I'm praying for you. And I'm asking the God of the Lord or of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want you to experience a greater revelation. I want you to experience him in a way that you've never seen him before. When was the last time you encountered the Lord like that? That revelation will last forever. But will you be satisfied with that revelation that you had five years ago? Come on, he got something for you today. Um, there was a, 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 teenage, a naive teenager uh, one time when we were youth pastoring that uh, came to Leslie and she said, so um, my mom told me that um, you have sex to have babies. So you and Josh have had sex two times, <laughs> right? Y'all are okay. Y'all are adults here. Unless it goes, you should talk to your mom about that. <laughs> I don't know if she misunderstood or her mom really told her, but yes, that is the result oftentimes of an encounter between a husband and his wife. Yes, that is the result oftentimes. But that is not the only purpose, is procreation. Come on. If I only knew my wife that way, we would not be very close. But there is a greater level of intimacy with her. And I'm not just come on, I'm not just talking about the bedroom. But the Lord wants to reveal more to you. It's not just a couple of moments so something happens. It's a relationship. It's a lifestyle. I want to segue just real quick on this thought. When Jesus shows up, the first thing that he says, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And then he says this a second time. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Two times, Jesus emphasizes that Saul is persecuting Jesus, not his church. Jesus. Listen, again, his intentions were pure, he was sincere, he was serious, and he was sincere and seriously wrong. But whenever I read this, it provokes my heart to go, you know what? Jesus associates with his church. You can't separate Jesus from his church. If you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting Jesus, apparently. If you're speaking ill of the church, the body of Christ, you're speaking ill of Jesus. He called the church his body. He called the church his bride. Husbands are called to be one with their wife. Right? He says in Ephesians 5.25, what does he say? That he loved the church and he gave himself for her. So, beloved, let us be careful how we speak against our brothers and sisters in the Lord. How we speak about other ministries. Well, they're just a bunch. How do you even know? Have you been there? Yeah. And I, listen, sometimes I think whenever we get like that, Jesus is speaking to that religious spirit and he's saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you speaking ill of them? That's my beloved you're talking about. And that's free today. (laughs) Remember who he is. And remember what belongs to him. He takes it very personal. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart because one time I was preaching, this, I had an encounter with the Lord. I was preaching and I said, you know what the problem with the church is? And the, Holy, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And Jesus said, that's my bride you're talking about. That's my woman you're talking about. And I was like, oh, never again, Lord. Never again will I be one that writes blogs and exposes ministries and all that because that's his church. That's his church. It's his problem. If we need to have a conversation with someone, have a conversation with somebody, but leave it off social media. Leave it off your blog post. Leave it off your little video or the the mission statement of your ministry. Tell you what. All right. We can go there real quick. Number four encounters carry alignment. The next thing that Jesus says to Paul, y'all okay today? The next thing that Jesus says to Saul is this now get up and go. Now get up and go. And you'll be told what you must do. There's two parts of that. The first part is get up. I love what happens to Saul in this moment because he goes down as Saul, even though we don't start calling him Saul yet. He goes down as Saul and he comes up as Paul. He's a different man. And what happens when he goes in and he gets healed of his blindness and he gets baptized? See, this is why baptism is so important because baptism shows that we go down. I went down as Josh Brown. And I come up as Josh Brown. I'm a different Josh Brown than I was whenever I died. And that's why it's so important for you to get baptized. Some of you got baptized before you came to Jesus. We're going to be doing a baptism later this month. So you need to get in on that. Why? Because you're testifying to the world. I'm born again. I'm not Saul of Tarsus anymore. I'm not that old Josh Brown anymore. My life's been transformed. And so we see that with Saul. He comes up transformed. Listen, it is an absolute conversion. That's why we call it born again. That's why we call it a transformation. The old is gone. The new has come. And we've got into this thing in the church where we go, well, it's just the Holy Spirit's just kind of working on them. We're just giving the Holy Spirit his time. And 15 years later, you're still dealing with the same addictions you had before you came to Jesus. What, what, what is supernatural about that? Listen, I'm not saying that we don't have grace and we don't walk tenderly with people. We absolutely need to be. Whatever your struggle is, we're going to be right there with you. We're going to, we're going to, be, we're going to be down in the ground with you. We're going to be fighting those battles with you. But listen, what you don't need, you don't need another 10 years. You don't need another 10-step program. You need an encounter with Jesus because you need to be transformed. Your life needs to be changed. And it's not an addiction issue. Get it. We're going to be talking about issues next week. It's not a personality issue. It's an issue is that we need to die and then be raised up. I, lo- I love so much <laughs> with Saul that Jesus is just after him, and he wants to just transform him. I mean, here, here's a guy that is killing believers. I mean, it would have been so easy for him to be like, well, let's just deal with this problem. Zap. <laughs> we see that some. Right in the screen. Well, he's causing. There you, yeah, there you go. Next. <laughs> right? It'd be so easy for God to do that. But instead, in, instead of smiting Saul, he transforms his life. A man that was an enemy for the cause of Christ. he transforms his heart. And he says this second Corinthians chapter three, he says, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Listen, not a fading glory. That's the glory you had by being obedient to the law. You have a new glory. That's not fading because you have intimacy what happens when you go and you get married ladies and you got that veil on what happens the veil is removed and this is what it is when we're in a relationship with Jesus the veil is removed and this bright shining man begins to reflect off of our face man. we're transformed that word transformed is not the word from you know a, a dog who had his leg cut off and grew another leg that's not transformed. Transformed is, is the picture of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. His diet's changed. His function has changed. Everything changed in a moment. I'm grateful for 10-step programs. I'm grateful for process. I'm grateful for get, getting down in the dirt and the grime and, and walking people through their issues. I'm all about that. I love that. But, wouldn't, but have we settled for that? Have we settled for our programs Have we settled for medication? I'm so... Thank God for it. Thank God for doctors. But have we settled for the world's solution in place of a supernatural encounter? I mean, I want people healed. I want to see people's marriages completely restored. Not because they got good counsel, but because God invaded their life. Jehovah Sneaky showed up. Boom. Everything changed. number five. So get up, be transformed, number five, and go. Encounters and carry, carry an assignment. Listen, when Jesus comes, when he encounters you, it carries an assignment. He puts that mantle on you because he has something for you to do. Right? The feeling's great. The issue fix is great. But he has a purpose, and it's bigger than just fixing you. It's also to make you functional. You're not just different, you have a different function now. So he still goes to Damascus with a totally different agenda. Before his agenda was to rid the world of Christians, God changed his agenda, he changed his assignment. His life was changed, his purpose was changed, his assignment has changed. And let me say this this morning, is encounters are oftentimes a result of somebody else's assignment because someone else encountered the Lord and had an assignment, right? And because that person was obedient to that assignment, they came and they brought an encounter with them are you with me? So what God does through encounter is he produces a ripple effect in our life to where it doesn't just influence me. He puts an assignment on me. So encounters don't just happen to me. They happen through me. So listen, when you encounter the Lord, expect your workplace to change. When you encounter the Lord, expect your home to change. Expect your behaviors to change. Expect your function to change. You will be different because that's how Jesus does things. See, Paul's story doesn't really start on this road to Damascus. It actually starts back a couple of chapters before that in Acts chapter seven, verse 58, with a man named Stephen. Now, scripture says this about Stephen, that he was full of the Holy Ghost. He had an encounter and he was standing up and he was carrying his assignment from that encounter, which is declare the gospel. Man, he, just, he lays it all out. All throughout Acts chapter seven, man, he just lays out the whole scripture. He's like, this is what happened. This is Moses. This is where we came down. This is how Jesus came in. And Jesus came and God has exalted him. He is the king. You need to yield your life to him. And it says this about Stephen. It says, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, reveal, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And then he died. I believe what we see in the book of Acts is an answer to that prayer that Stephen prayed. Whenever Saul who was standing over him, writing down, making sure that everybody did their job to kill this man, to stone this man. He was right there. It says that they threw his clothes at his feet. And I believe what happened in that moment was there is a tension that set inside of Saul. That the tension of the testimony was inside of him from that moment and he couldn't get away from it. So he was still going and he was still doing his thing and he was still killing Christians and that whole time he was remembering And most most people would agree this this was really the moment that seeded the moment that he couldn't get away from this tension of this young man that was full of the Holy Ghost that was saying, "Lord Jesus, I love them. Don't hold their sins against them." And he's going, and he begins to carry this tension, the tension of the testimony. The tension of the testimony that was torturing the church was the same tension that was transforming Saul. I believe it was the thing that softened his heart so when Jesus showed up, he said, who are you, Lord? Listen, there is tension in the testimony. I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the testimony of God moving, there's a tension in me because I want to see that movement happen. And that's a good tension. That's a holy tension. And I I think sometimes we want to hush the tension. Listen, you're not going to encounter the Lord if you just hush the tension. Because the tension is an invitation. The tension is an invitation of the Lord going, I want you closer. You see what happened with Stephen? I want that. And I believe the Holy Spirit was working on him. So whenever he encountered him on the road, everything was prime and ready for this man to be transformed. I have two questions about tension. First of all, what will you do with the tension that you've been experiencing? Some of you have been experiencing some tension in this room since I started preaching. You're like, well, I, I don't know if I need another. Can I tell you that that tension is from the Holy Spirit because he wants to encounter you today. It's an invitation from the Lord saying, I want, I want to give you something today, something that you came in the room and you didn't have. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's deliverance. Come on. Maybe, maybe it's healing in your body. Maybe it's just a greater understanding and an awareness of who Jesus is. The tension of the testimony. You know, what one of the things that we've done, I'm afraid that, we, that we've done as, as believers, and I know for me, I've done this before, is I've been sometimes afraid to speak the testimony because I'm afraid of the tension it will cause. Because I'm afraid somebody might unlike me on Facebook. Listen, I'm not talking about jumping on social, plat- I'm not talking about social issues and jumping on politics. I'm not talking about that. But sometimes, sometimes we're afraid to speak about God. Because we're afraid that someone might be offended or someone might have some tension or it might. Can I tell you, that tension that you bring is a good thing. Because that is the context the Holy Spirit will work in to draw those people. So stand up, let that light shine, unveil your face and declare the glory of God. Because you might, listen, you might be friends with the next Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul the Apostle. That could be the next, you could be the next greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. But if you are afraid of bringing that tension and keep your mouth shut, it will never happen. Hey guys, Pastor Josh here. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast, whether you do that through our app and listen every week, or you're just listening for the first time. Hey, if the podcast is a blessing to you, if you would, you know, mention us on social media at OverflowDFW or hashtag OverflowDFW. We'd love to hear how we're being an encouragement to you. You can also email us at OverflowDFW at gmail.com. Again, thanks so much for listening and here's today's message.